0: Uh, Before we dive in to the lesson tonight, if you would turn with me super quickly to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. As I was taking um, some time to pray and uh, look over my notes again while you guys were in your discussion groups, I was just reminded of the verse that is our heart as a ladies' ministry for each and every one of us here. So picking up in verse 2 of Colossians, it says, "...that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." And I just wanted to be reminded of that tonight, you know, that that is our prayer, that's our desire as a ladies' ministry here at Calvary Miami, that that we would be woven together as women who are seeking the Lord, that we would be encouraged, we would be knit together in love, we would attain all the riches, that full assurance, understanding, growing in the knowledge of who God is and of who Jesus is where all the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Um, so again, just so blessed to be here with each and every one of you tonight, looking at this truth that we are the body of Christ, that he is the head of the church. So we'll go ahead and pray, and we'll jump into tonight. Lord, again, we ask that you would be present here. Lord, may every word that's shared be Glorifying to you, Lord. Jesus, speak to us now, we pray. Amen. Amen. Comparisons are a powerful tool, right? I don't, I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Uh, there are just very powerful things that can happen where we're able to make comparisons. When there's a connection between one idea and something that you previously kn- knew. They say that that is the the best way to learn something. When you're able to connect it to something you were already aware of, something you already knew, when you're able to make that comparison, you're more likely not only to remember the new concept or idea, but also to apply it. Because there was something already in your experience or in your memory bank that you knew, and you were able to now attach this new information to something you already knew. That's probably why Jesus taught in parables so often, right? He took those everyday aspects of people's lives, fishing, farming, paying taxes, right? (laughs) Owing money, all these different things that his audience would be very familiar. He took the everyday and he pointed out the comparison to the kingdom of heaven. He said, you're familiar with all this. Now here's the spiritual lesson. Here's the heavenly truth attached to what is earthly, what is common. When it comes to marriage, it's interesting because it was created with that specific lesson in mind. When God points to marriage, he usually speaks of his love for the church or his love for Israel in the Old Testament. So it's sweet to see that this this message, this comparison, is one of the few things we still have from the Garden of Eden, right? I don't know of much else that was able to survive the fall of man other than that relationship. That is so special to the Lord. And before we continue tonight, I just, I don't want anyone to feel condemned, right? If, if, if divorce is part of your testimony or part of your story, um, if you're not married right now, it's not like, okay, I get tune now. This doesn't apply to me. Tonight, we're going to look specifically at how marriage and our relationship with Jesus, right? These comparisons, this way that we can grow in our relationship with the Lord by looking at it as a marriage. There are so many similarities, even in scripture, when we look at that first marriage, Adam and Eve, and how God created Eve. And we look at the birth of, of the church. You look at everything that Jesus went through. Uh, I heard this teaching by Bill Gallatin, and he was able to draw all these analogies between the birth of the church and the birth of the first wife, so to speak. So, we're going to look at some of those things tonight. Um, If you're a note taker like me, you can make a little column chart, right? So, we're going to have two columns. We're going to have column A where we're going to look at the things that happened with Adam and Eve and their marriage relationship and how it started. And then you'll have the second column, column B. And in there, we'll see the ways that, as we look at the birth of the church, there's correlations and there's those comparisons and there's, there's lessons to be learned from these things. So again, the column A is the first marriage we have in scripture. And then in column B, we'll see the birth of the church and her relationship, our relationship with Jesus. So the first thing we notice is, is a location, where, the, where this account took place, right? So this maybe is a freebie for us. Where did Adam and Eve meet? The Garden of Eden, right? So their marriage was birthed in the Garden of Eden. Similarly, we see that Jesus, he was buried in the Garden Tomb, right? And even before then, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see, again, this this connection even to the birthplace of the first marriage and our marriage to Jesus as the church. Uh, Let's go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 2. So it's the first book in the Bible, second chapter, Genesis chapter 2. And we'll look at this account. We'll look at how this first marriage came to be. And we'll continue to fill in our chart and see the parallels between the birth of the first marriage and the birth of the bride of Christ. So we'll pick up in verse 18 of Genesis. It says, And the Lord Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Verse 20. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he, God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So there we have the first account. One of the first things we see there in verse 21 is that the Lord caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. Right? He fell into deep sleep in order for his wife to to come to him. Similarly, Jesus had to die. His was not just a deep sleep. It wasn't a power nap, right? It was death. That is what had to happen for the birth of the church. We read also in that verse that out of his side, the Lord took one of his ribs. And it reminds me of the account in John 19, verses 31 through 36. We won't turn there, but you could jot it down. John 19, 31 through 36 where the soldiers came and out of the side of Jesus flowed water and blood, right? So we see again just the scars that took place for the birth of the church, for this bride of Christ to be able um, to be brought to the Lord. We notice at the end there that there was unashamed intimacy between husband and wife. They were naked. They became one flesh. They were not ashamed. And what did Jesus do at the cross? He bore our guilt and shame to renew our relationship with God. And again, it's just so amazing to see how even just before we we hear about what marriage looks like and we see other verses about that union and that commitment, and and just from its inception, from the start, we see that the Lord was already creating a parable. He was already creating this message that through marriage we would be able to see our relationship, how it ought to be with him. So that's our first chart, right? We see the first marriage and we see the birth of the church. There's also a second chart if you want to continue on this note-taking journey with me where we'll look at some Jewish traditions, right, some ancient Jewish traditions that took place in that culture that also speak to us about our promise as the bride of Christ. One of the things that was always involved in um, traditional customs for Jewish weddings was a price, right? There was a price to be paid. And depending on the scripture, depending on the custom, it, it was kind of hard for me to figure out, wait, was the dowry just supposed to come from the bride's family? But then you also see examples where the husband pays a price. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly how our relationship is. Jesus paid the the most unimaginable price for us, right? His life. But there's also a cost of discipleship. There's also something we give up in order to be his. So the price is always involved. Whether it was a dowry or whether it was the bridegroom presenting that he would be able to provide for his wife and giving that gift to, to her parents, there is a cost in marriage. And uh, that's not just spiritually, right? Those of us that are married know that there is a cost. There is a dying to to self. There is a sacrifice involved in weddings, in marriage. The second aspect of Jewish and wedding traditions was this act of betrothal, right? So there was a guarantee given that I am going to marry your daughter one day but that day was unknown so there was something as a guarantee given right that exchange with the with the dowry with the price and we see in acts 2 that we've been given a guarantee also the holy spirit in acts chapter 2 that that is the first time we see the church gathered together right waiting praying after Jesus ascended and he gives them a promise he says here's my spirit and that is that guarantee. We we see it also mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22 where Paul reminds us that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee as an engagement ring that our groom is coming for us. Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 13 and 14, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, reiterates that same idea, that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that promise is a promise of inheritance, that he will come again for us. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22. So in this time of betrothal, the, the couple wasn't living together. Instead, the bridegroom went to make preparations He was preparing the new home for his bride-to-be. And this was before HGTV, right? So he didn't know exactly what was the style or, you know, whether they would take a more modern, you know, mid-century aesthetic or, you know, different traditional setting. No, he had to, out of his own love, out of his own desire to bless his bride, prepare a home. And it reminds me of the promise that Jesus gave his disciples in John 14. He says, I go and I prepare a place for you. And that promise is followed by, and if I go, I'll surely come again that you might be with me. That is his desire to be with us. So again, that, those preparations by the bridegroom that we saw in cultural, like the Jewish culture, those wedding traditions, we also see spiritually where Jesus promised to prepare a place for us. The other interesting thing is that culturally, the bride didn't know the day of her wedding. Could you imagine? That's the first thing someone asks when there's an engagement. Oh, do you have a date? Oh, do you have a date? Oh, when's the wedding? Oh, everyone, right? You can't book a caterer, you can't find a location, much less a photographer or anything like that until you have a date. But that is very different from our culture. The way that these things took place, it could be at any moment ta-da, your groom is here, time to be married. So I would imagine that while the groom was preparing a house, she was preparing her dress and all the flower arrangements and all those things for the festivity as well. The unknown time is something that we see associated time and time again in scripture with the rapture, right? Matthew 24, 26 says that no one knows the day or the hour. And again, that's chapter 24, verse 26 in Matthew. No one knows the day or the hour. The other interesting thing I found in researching some, some of these traditions is that the wedding usually lasted a week, right? Seven days. And the reason it kind of jumped out at me this time was because in light of prophecy, Right, we know that the tribulation is supposed to be seven years. And it reminded me of of the prophecies in Daniel where he talks about the 70 weeks, right, and how there's a pause when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and so that leaves seven more years, right? And I and it made me think of the tribulation period, right? Where here the Lord is gonna get the attention once again of Israel as a nation, and it's the final chapter of human history. And it's an opportunity for people to see, okay, this is what the wrath of God is. This is what we deserve. This is the opportunity you have to, to not be recipients of that if you will turn to him. And it's almost as if he's taking that, that week to be with us, you know, that he raptured us. And we're going to be there enjoying, enjoying his presence, right? Because at the end of this week-long celebration was the marriage supper, It was that opportunity with all the friends and family to come together and say, okay, that's it. Now they'll be husband and wife forever till death do them part. And we know that once we get to heaven, there'll be no more death to part us. So I just think it's so beautiful that even as the Lord would stir in his people these different traditions, these different aspects of what a wedding ceremony was to look like, he was already painting that deeper picture for us, of his love for us, of the price he was willing to pay to make us his, of the, of the willingness he is to still work and prepare a place for us, and how we ought to be prepared as well, right? We're not just sitting here twiddling our thumbs, one day my prince will come, you know, but that his coming is at any point, and we should be ready. Let's go ahead and turn now to Revelation. I know we started in the first book of the Bible, so now we'll go to the end. We'll go to the spoiler alerts of Scripture in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, picking up in verse 5, we'll read through verse 9. Revelation 19 verse 5 says, Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. Verse 6, And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, "Hallelujah! for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed Oh, how happy are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Ladies, what a beautiful declaration we find at the end of verse 7. That all the while the Lord is preparing a place for us, we are preparing our hearts for that place. His wife has made herself ready. She wasn't distracted. She wasn't getting herself worked up as to whether or not he would come. She was so assured that her groom was a man of his word that she couldn't help but get ready. She couldn't help but ask her friends, what do you think? These shoes or those? What do you think about these flowers? You know, we should probably pick something that's always in season because we never know when he's going to come. You know, what about this hairstyle? What about this makeup, right? And all those things could be lessons for, for spiritually how we ought to prepare for the coming of the Lord. What about this verse? How can I apply it? What about this character trait? I don't know if it's becoming me as, as a wife of, of the Lord. What, what about this problem I'm facing? You know, how do you think my groom would want me to handle it? Ladies, may we be that bride that is making herself ready. And you know what the sweet thing is? The Lord doesn't say, figure it out. He doesn't say, be ready or, oh, well, I guess you'll just be embarrassed when you get to heaven. Oh, did you see her dress? What was that deal? No, to her it was granted. All the while... While she is making herself ready, the Lord is granting her to be arrayed in the righteous acts of the saints. As we do things for our king, he is pleased. And it's granted to us to be clothed in his righteousness, in his love, in his grace. But it doesn't happen if we're wasting time. If we're too busy binging, when we should be bending our knees in prayer. Ladies, we need to redeem the time because we do not know the day. And we certainly don't know the hour. I want to look at another um, betrothal in scripture. Uh, We're going to jump back to the first book in the Bible. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. I would imagine that many of you are familiar with this account of Isaac and Rebekah. And it, it came to my heart in preparing for tonight because it was my favorite whew, Okay, It was my favorite teaching by Chuck Smith that I got to hear him share in person before I was even married. Um, as most of you know, Pastor Chuck Smith was the person that the Lord used to start uh, the movement of Calvary Chapel there in Costa Mesa, California, through his wife, the burden that she had. For the younger generation, right, the hippies, and the Lord used this man of of simple faith, of simple words, simply sharing the gospel, allowing people to use their gifts, and it impacted our entire nation, even our world. Um, So he did this amazing teaching on all the times that the Lord appeared to Abraham. And how he was calling him to a closer relationship, right? Every time that Abraham built a, an altar and it says the Lord appeared to him, he talks about like that drawing of closer, you know, that calling that he has. And he mentions that the last time the Lord appears to Abraham, it's with Isaac. When he says, give to me your only son. And he pointed out how there is no deeper fellowship we can have with the Lord than to relate to him in suffering, you know, that who else in scripture really had that connection with God's heart of what it would be to give up an only son. And maybe that's why Abraham is called the friend of God, right? Because he was able to know what that would be like in giving up his only son. And then he says, and he points it out, and it was kind of just the tail end of this teaching as he went through each of the times that the Lord appeared to Abraham. He says, and the next time we see Abraham, he's sending his servant to get the bride for his son and he shared how he is so he was so convinced that that would happen at any moment that the Lord would finally say okay go get my son's bride so we're gonna pick up in verse 24 and we're gonna see the heart of a father wanting to find the bride for his son verse 1 of Genesis chapter 24 now Abraham was old Well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country, to my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, verse five: Perhaps the woman, the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? Verse 6 But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Verse 8 And if the woman is not willing, to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there." I wanted to pause a second there because we see how the heart of God is that he is a gentleman. There is not going to be one person in heaven who didn't want to be there. In fact, the only reason to not be in heaven is because you didn't want to be there. Why? Because all you have to do to go to heaven is want to be there by saying, "Okay, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, you died for my sins, you are the way to heaven, that's it, you believe in your heart, you accept salvation, right? You surrender to that invitation. We must be willing to follow our Lord, to allow him to get us ready to be his bride. Verse 9, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him, concerning this matter so again that that's more like cultural interactions you know now we do things like you know sign a document back then I guess it was a lot more um, personal when they made (laughs) vows to each other verse 10 then the servant took 10 of his master's camel and departed for all his master's goods were in his hand and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink, let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. I love this servant's prayer. He says, Lord, let this be the test. Let her be the one that will be my master's son's wife. Um, One of the things I remember from a recent couples retreat is that our society, our Western culture, Hollywood, is uh, obsessed with this idea of finding the one. Like, who is your soulmate? You know, they're out there somewhere. And um, the pastor pointed out, that you aren't soulmates you become that right you choose to be that in your marriage relationship the Lord appoints this marriage he allows you to be married and then you have the opportunity to become each other's soulmates but he prays this and verse 15 and it happened before he had finished speaking that behold Rebekah who was born to Bethuel son of Milcah the wife of Nahor Abraham's brother came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. She was prepared. There's that bride readying herself for her Lord. And now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. Again, we see her integrity. We see her character. This allowed her to become the wife of Isaac. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. Verse 19, And when she finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels and the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the lord had made his journey prosperous or not isn't that interesting the lord answers his prayer word for word it seems and he was in so much shock that he said let me see if this thing is from the lord I don't know about you but if i was rebecca and i found out that that was the test and he let me water those camels by himself and not help me i would have had something to say to him a couple years later but again you see her work ethic you see her willingness to serve this stranger and i pray that we would have those servant hearts that we would be willing to do the extra work right when the lord calls us to whether it's taking care of our children whether it's hospitality, whether it's here at church or at our jobs, wherever we are called to serve that, we would go above and beyond. We would honor the Lord by doing the hard work. So it was, verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold. And he said, "'Whose daughter are you? "'Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge?' So she said to him, "'I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor.' Moreover, she said to him, "'We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge.' Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. It was as if he knew. This is the answer to prayer." This was the desire of my master's heart. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman, woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, And Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets, all the bling on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. Now remember, these camels are a sign of wealth, right? Most people had very... um, Small amounts of cattle and livestock. And here this servant comes and he has 10 camels. So he's probably checking them out, seeing what else he has, you know, in, in the suitcases there. Um, verse 31 And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Again, he's really hung up on these camels. <laughs> then the man came to the house and he unloaded and fed. He unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels, and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds silver and gold male and female servants and camels and donkeys and Sarah my master's wife bore a son to my master when she was old and to him he has given all that he has one of the things I also love in this account is what it doesn't say right he doesn't mention Ishmael he doesn't mention the acts of the flesh he doesn't mention Sarah's impatience we see the goodness of the Lord Now the servant will go on, most of the rest of the chapters is repetition, right? It's the servant retelling the story of his prayer and Rebecca's willingness to be the answer to that prayer. And again, I I just pray your heart was encouraged to be that bride of Christ, to prepare. Um, One of the things that I think breaks the Lord's heart when he sees the body of Christ is the fact that we're not preparing to meet him. There's not this joy over that glorious wedding day that approaches. And I wonder if all the little divisions, all the little skirmishes and distractions and fights that happen between denominations and even within churches are because we're not all preparing. If we all had that same goal of being ready for our master, how many of those things would it matter? How many of those differences, those distinctions, those things that people make such a big deal would be in their proper um, perspective if we were all just busy preparing for him? If we were busy, again, just making our hearts ready in that sanctification. So ladies, whatever it is that you're facing, I pray that you would look for that lesson, right? The Lord drew this beautiful analogy for us through marriage. And whether you're married or you're not married, whatever situation is going on, ask the Lord to show you that lesson. And through it, allow him to make you ready as his bride. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you so much. God, we ask that you would forgive us when we are a distracted fiance, when we are not excited, Lord, uh, when we do not allow that seal of the Holy Spirit, God, to protect us, to keep us from this world. Help us to abstain, God, from the things that are just garbage. Lord, we want to be ready for your return. Please, um rekindle that fire in our hearts that relationship with you that we would desire to be in your word to read it to apply it God help us to encourage one another if we have been isolating ourselves lately from from church from our sisters in Christ God would you forgive us and would you draw us back to that fellowship draw us back to that transparency that accountability Lord may we be one as you and the father are one God Encourage us. We pray. We love you. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We do have um, the next lesson printed out for when we meet on February 22nd. Go with the Lord. You're just